ones that are probably sore and limping tonight, you will be able to pick those individuals out. Uh, but we appreciate the various adults that are on that endeavor with our youth. Uh, our youth look forward to this annual event, and uh, we appreciate those that make that possible. I want to encourage you not to let that little game get in the way of your priorities today. Let's all be back here tonight and keep first things first, and you'll get to see a big part of the game before and after the most important thing. That can, can be the little sideline things, and let's keep the main thing the main thing tonight. That's what we would do if the Lord is our banner. And a month ago to today, we talked about the Lord being our banner. And just a few mo moments ago, we had capably read for us from Exodus, the 18th chapter. But if you will remember, that lesson was taken out of Exodus, the 17th chapter. And if you have your Bible open, you might want to flip back to that. That was where Moses had a challenge before him. As he led the children of Israel, they had only been slaves. They've been people in bondage. They've not been trained soldiers. And they're leading out of Egypt on the way to the promised land. And Amalek attacks from the rear. God tells him how to defend his people. And the way seemed somewhat normal, but yet on the other hand, somewhat strange. The normal thing was to find a leader that would lead men into battle. And he found... Uh, Joshua And Joshua selected the men and they went into battle. And he, Moses, took Aaron and Ur and Hur and he stood on the mountainside. And as long as he had his rod and his hands lifted, the children of Israel prevailed. But as his arms grew tired, Amalek prevailed. And so they rolled a stone up under Moses. And Moses sat on that stone and they held his hands up. And together, all of them working together, including Joshua, Submitting to the ways of God, the victory was given to the children of Israel. And we need to note that this morning. The victory was given to the children of Israel. Now as this chapter comes to a close, God tells Moses, I want you to write that down so that Joshua can see it in years to come. And he does. And if you have your Bible open, notice what he does in verse 15. This is Exodus, the 17th chapter. Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek, with generation to generation. The Lord is my banner. We talked about last month the fact that in Iwo Jima, the most reproduced picture that has ever been was those six men lifting that hundred pound flagpole on the first Japanese territory holding what we call Old Glory, the American flag. That isn't there because we say that should be on Ripley's Believe It or Not or that's some grand invention. The reason that has become the largest bronze statue to ever be created was because it shows men serving under a banner. Deep inside of us, we all want to belong to something that's greater than ourselves. We want to be a part of something that's larger than us. We want to be a part of something that makes a difference even long after we left this earth. And that picture will live on, I believe, as long as this country lives on because it represents men fighting under a banner. Men have fought under banners almost as long as men have been. 
And we remember in 9-11, the iron cross that was found by a man named Frank. And when he found it, he stood there in dismay and began to cry. And others saw what he found. And they decided to pull it out of the rubble and direct it, if you will. And people came by and said, this is our symbol of hope. This is our symbol of God's mercy. And this is the symbol of God's healing that will bring this nation through this terrorist act. Again. It was a banner that was lifted that even to this day you can go through the streets of Manhattan and you can see that banner still flying over ground zero. Moses had gone through a most remarkable day. He'd watched men that he had led out of slavery go in and defeat a trained army. And he said... That's only because of God and His goodness. And we're going to lift God as our banner. And we're going to march under God for the remainder of our life. What a declaration. That brings us to the very next chapter. If people are walking under God's banner, what will it be like and what will happen? We just had so capably read for us the last half of chapter 18, but really the text this morning is all of chapter 18. And I'd like to take your eyes back to the first chapter, if you have your Bibles open, Exodus, the 18th chapter and verse 1. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses. Notice that phrase had heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, His people, that the Lord has brought Israel out of Egypt. Now skip down and read verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians." Within this story, we see that as Moses was going to free the children of Israel, pleading with Pharaoh on behalf of God, let my people go, his wife went ahead and went back home to her father's house along with her two children. If we had time this morning, we could develop a most important point. And it's only for a lack of time, not because of the importance of the point. We need to recognize the fact that when a great man serves as a great leader, it's usually because a wife and sometimes even children are making sacrifices in their life. And this is just one of thousands of examples that we could see in the Scriptures in the lives of individuals. Here's a woman that has to go her own way back to her, her father's house for a while and live. But after things have settled down and now that they're on the way to the promised land, Jethro, the father-in-law, says, let's go back and let's find your husband again. And as they find him, note what is emphasized throughout this. He's already heard of the great things that had happened. Have you ever noticed that godly people know when to give God the credit? for things that God has done, and then they take time to acknowledge it. You see, Jethro had already heard all that God had done. Wouldn't it have been interesting to sit around the table with Moses and say, Hey, Moses, 
Tell us again what God did when you was a little baby. Well, and he pushes away from the table a little bit and he props his leg up and he says, Kids, when I was born, the Egyptians were trying to kill all of us little babies. And my mama took and made this basket and she so carefully weaved it so that, that water couldn't even come through it. It'd float with a baby in it. And the story would go. And then you can imagine this father-in-law that meets Moses after he's about 40 years old. And between 40 and 80 years of age, he knows this man. And now this man comes and says, I've got to go on a mission for God again. What are you going to do this time, son-in-law? I'm going to go and bring back the people. Bring them out of bondage. No, yes. Can you imagine the talk? Well, friends, that's how this chapter begins. Jethro comes up. He's given the, the welcome of one that should receive honor. And Moses says, come on in the tent. And he tells them all that God did to Pharaoh. You can imagine Moses going through each of the ten plagues. He tells all that he did to Egypt. You can imagine him telling about the waters separating and then those Egyptian soldiers coming into the water and the walls falling down upon them. And the Scripture even said, he told them the hardships they had on the way. Can you imagine Jethro's face whenever Moses says, and by the way, we got hungry. God just sent bread from heaven. No, yes. And one time we were thirsty. God just sent water out of a rock. No way. Oh, yeah. He really did. One time we were fighting an enemy, and as long as my hands were lifted up, we won. No, yes. I want to read this phrase one more time. Verse 9, Exodus 18. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done in Israel. Jethro gave God the glory. You see, their banner was the Lord. And when good took place in their life, they realized that they were the recipient of God's blessing. Today's a remarkable day. Today's a day that we think especially about the men that serve in the office of deacons and those that will be added to this wonderful opportunity to serve. But it is appropriate for us to stop for just a moment and think about all the good that God has done for this congregation. When we think about a picture of baptism years and years ago when this congregation was just starting out, we picture a riverside and we picture people there. There was a man and a woman that were riding horseback back from worship services in neighboring communities. And the man turned to the woman and said, why don't we start a church in Mount Juliet? And the woman said, my husband and I will give that piece of property near the thicket, near the creek, if you and your family will raise the money to build the building. And they said, let's do it. And individuals began worshiping God in the late 1800s on this very ground that you and I are sitting on right now. Individuals were baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins for over a hundred years. And when we think back to even the last three years, there have been over 120 individuals baptized into Jesus Christ right here on these very grounds. Think of what God has done. Let's be thankful for all that God has done. When we think about the Mount Juliet messengers and we think about the various ones that have been over the years, 
We think about our bulletin, and the first one that is pictured here to your left is one of the earliest, if not the very first messenger that was printed. And you know what the goal was? It was a high goal. It was something to shoot for as the basketball is going through the hoop. The goal was for 125 people in Bible class. And then the bulletin that you see on the upper right-hand side is where it's talking about our building fund the campaign that would help create the structure in which you're setting that would cost over $2 million, including the additional uh, buildings around to my right and to the rear toward the parking lot. God has been good to us. God has blessed us richly. If we could have gone to those 29 or 30 charter members and said, do you envision how many people are going to be baptized into Christ?" because of God's blessings that flow from this place, there's no way they could imagine. If we would have said to those people in the late 1800s, do you know how many people in South and Central America and over in Russia and over in Italy and and over in, in just all the other parts of the world that missionaries would be reached, being supported from this congregation? Could they have envisioned that? No. What's the point? The point is God has blessed us far more than we could even imagine. I believe with all of my heart, if time stands, that we could go to the people that will be meeting at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ 75 years from now, and they will be talking about the ways God has blessed them, and they will be able to say, if you would have went to those people in 2004, and you would have said that there would be this many people baptized into Christ, this many missionaries sent out, this many great works done, they would have said, I can't imagine it. I don't believe that people can imagine what God can do when people will fully submit to Him as the Lord is their banner. I don't know the opportunities that God will give this congregation. But I believe if we have the Lord as our banner, we can always look back and we can always say, let's rejoice in all that the Lord has done. When we think, and I want to emphasize this, if you're visiting here this morning, I want you to know We do not place an emphasis on material things, but sometimes to stop and just look at the material gifts that God has given us reminds us of how much God has done for us. Think about the buildings that we have. The first building that you see there is not the first building that this congregation met upon. The first building that was built was a white frame building about the very same size. As a matter of fact, if you would have stepped off from the very first of that building, not just the inside, but the building itself, it would have started in this front pew and it went to the back pew and the width would have been just about a foot wider than each of these benches here. The first building was that size. It burned. The second building was built out of block and tin shingles, making it somewhat fireproof. That building was added onto in 1927 and it was added onto again in the 50s. The first building had a cost of somewhere around $3,000. This building, once everything was done, had a cost of somewhere around $20,000. In the late 60s, the first building here in the middle on the right, which is what we call the new fellowship area, was built. And then later, about 10 years later, the educational wing was built. In 1997, this building, in which we are setting in now, was built. What's the point? The point is we haven't done this. There's not one individual that can make this happen. It's the blessings of God. 
It's a congregation of people that just fall back on God in everything. Who preached here 50 years ago? Not many people in this room can tell the answer to that. And I'm afraid that probably 50 years from now, not many people will know who preached 50 years ago. Who were the elders? Not many of us know who those elders were. We see their picture back there and we can read their names, but not many of us know who they are. Who were the deacons 25 years ago? Not many of us know. What's the point? The point is it's not about us as individuals. It's not about a man. It's not about an individual family. We are about the Lord's work. And what's important is that the Lord's banner is flying high. And one man doesn't lead the way and one man doesn't get the credit for the way. And a group of men don't either. Let's rejoice in what the Lord has done. Not in what a family has done. Not in what a group of men have done. But in what the Lord has done. But also in this story, we have a realistic vision of life. Just when we think things are going so well, we realize that there's so many things that need to be addressed. You see where Dana began reading this morning in Exodus, the 18th chapter... Jethro was watching Moses, and wow, are we getting out of time. I'm supposed to preach shorter this morning, okay? So we're about to shut down real quick, but will you listen real quick? I ask you to do that. Jethro's watching Moses, and we've read the text, so I'm not going to point you to every place, but everything I'm about to say is in there, okay? Jethro is watching Moses, and he sees that, that Moses is standing up from the first thing in the morning to the last thing at the evening. And I'm sure Moses is thinking, wow, I'm doing a great job. Look at me. And Jethro says, what you're doing is not good. What do you mean it's not good? You see, Moses had some things that were left undone that needed to be addressed. And at this point, he wasn't even aware of it. He says, what you're doing is going to wear you out and it's going to wear the people out. Well, what's the solution? He says, the solution is you find men that can lead over groups of thousands, and you find men that can lead over groups of hundreds, and you find men that can lead over groups of fifty, and also over groups of ten, and you let them rule over. You see, the point is this. There's always things to do. As long as we're under the Lord's banner, there's never a time where we say, wow, I can rest, now it's over, there's nothing else that needs to be done. When we look at the ministries at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ, that right there, is a description of 48 ministries. There's not one of those ministries where someone sat down and said, we have got to figure out some busy work. We have over 600 people in attendance. We have to figure out something for them to do. I can honestly say to you from being involved in several meetings with elders, with deacons, with those that serve in areas, there is not one thing that this congregation is involved in that could be classified as busy work. Everything there is the result of something that needs to be done in the Lord's kingdom stemming from this congregation. What's the point? We're not done, friends. We're just beginning. We might as well picture ourselves as meeting in that little white frame building for the very first time and saying, where are we going from here? We're under the Lord's banner. We haven't arrived here to stop. This is just one point of a journey that who knows where God is taking us. But the point is, every man that is leading these ministries 
must recognize the importance that his ministry, in a sense, is undone. And I'm not talking about irresponsible. But I'm talking about all of us need to look at it as it's undone. There's work that must be done. Let's all get busy. But before any of us can get busy in a ministry, we need a leader. And that's what brings us to the topic of today of God's organization. If you'll notice in verse 20, the next few points we'll quickly make from verse 20 and following. And that is, under God's organization, leaders have a purpose. When we see in verse 20, Moses, as a leader, was to teach them, he was to show them, and he was to work them. I want to challenge every one of us, if you're leading a Bible class, if you're leading a ministry, if you're an elder, if you're a minister, whatever your, your lot is in, in life, if you are a leader, I want you to think about those three purposes of leadership. If we are going to lead, we should teach. If we're going to lead, we should also teach by example. We should show people how to live. But finally, if we're going to lead, we need to lead by involving other people. Moses had the idea, I'm the leader, I'll just do it all. And Jethro comes around and says, oh no, you lead by involving others. God wants every member of His church to be active in His service. The only way that can happen is for leaders to involve other people in work. Now notice the selection process. The leader's process was Moses in 21 was to select able men. Notice the qualifications given here for Moses' men. He was to select able men, men that feared God, men of truth, and men that hated covetousness. But now let's quickly notice the third thing about the organization, and that was their placement. Notice in the placement, they were entrusted with responsibility. They were to rule over individuals. It is a shame whenever elders won't let deacons be deacons and elders insist on being elders and deacons. And you and I ought to be so thankful that there is not that kind of struggle in this congregation. But if you will read information that is written on deacons, you'll find out that that happens in many, many congregations. One individual wrote this, Ted Keel. He says, Deacons are men appointed to an unknown role ignored midst undefined responsibilities, critically evaluated relative to elementary assignments, lost in the obscurity of an unending term of office, and are the easy targets of blame for sluggish church record. Pray for them, work with them, and support them. And Ira North told of a time that he went to a congregation and one of the deacons came to him and said this, In the business world, I have 5,000 people who work for me. It is exciting. It's a challenging job with room for growth. However, when I come to church, I'm disappointed. Our elders do everything themselves. They even put the light bulbs in. We're just a group of second-hand deacons with no challenge, no program, no involvement, nothing to do. It is easy to see this man's frustration. Friends, God's design of leaders is that you give the leader a responsibility and trust him. Men that have been deacons here in the past and those that will begin being deacons here today know that there's a lot of trust that's placed in their hands. These men have the potential to grow their ministry. They have the potential and the expectation to do God's will in that ministry. Every ministry is overseen by the elders, but every ministry is given the opportunity to grow. 
A second thing that we see is that they're also entrusted with ability. Do you think the man had the same ability that was given a thousand men, that the man that was only given ten men? I doubt it. I doubt the, I would imagine that the man that was given rulership over a thousand men was given rulership over a thousand men because he was probably a stronger leader than the one that was given rulership over ten men. What's the point? The point is, leaders need to be careful and make sure that they always go in areas that they have the ability to lead. Those asking leaders to come into the areas need to make sure that they're asking individuals to go in areas of which they are capable. But then finally, at the end of verse 21, Jethro told Moses that if he'll do this, they will share the burden with you. This morning is an exciting day because there are going to be more men added to the office of deacon, which means there are going to be more to share the burden. A while back, someone asked me about some things that we do, and, and they were asking as if I had my hand in the middle of it all, and I said, well, no, I really don't know that much about the El Salvador trip. We have a deacon that takes care of that. Well, what about the, the stateside mission? How do you organize that? I said, I don't organize that. And they ask about other men. What about VBS? I don't organize that. And they kind of looked at me and I said, we have deacons that lead ministries. And their ministry either does great or it falls on its face, but it's up to the deacon. The guy looked like he couldn't believe it. Friends, that's responsibility. That's how important what is taking place today is all about. It's the Lord's banner. We can rejoice in past victory and we can look for future expectation. Let's make sure this morning that we support these men in every way. Let's make sure that our prayers are deep and fervent for them. And let's make sure that we realize they're not the ones to do all the work. They're to involve us in the work. And let's be a support system to them. This morning, as we close this lesson, we need to think about the Lord being our banner and we need to be honest with ourselves. Am I really marching under the Lord's banner? If it wasn't just a symbolic thing, if it was literal that we were either standing under Jesus Christ right now or we were standing away from Him, where would we be? Are we walking under the banner of our Lord this morning? Let's not turn away from the only hope we have. Let's act in wisdom and godliness and make spiritual decisions that will bless us for an eternity. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins, or you need to come back to Him, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.